Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Donovan and Blake and the team for leading us in such wonderful worship as we come to study the Word of God now. I'm thankful for everyone being here, uh, ready to open their Bibles to study the Word of God with us. Today we're starting a wonderful series. I'm excited for us as a church to study the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And we've been talking a lot about God's law as we've been studying the book of Galatians. As you know, we've been working our way exegetically, that means verse by verse, through the book of Galatians. And we've spoken so much about the law and so much about freedom. Because one of the big themes from Galatians is freedom. How God has made us free in Christ and free from the law and from our own efforts to be right with Him. And so the question should be, why are we going to take several weeks now to study the law? If we've been talking so much about freedom in Christ. Why study the law and the Ten Commandments? In fact, I wonder, if I gave you a piece of paper right now, and I asked you to write down the Ten Commandments, would you be able to do so? Yeah, maybe you noticed something about murder in there, something about coveting, and I mean, something about idols maybe. But do you know actually the Ten Commandments? Because many people, as they think about the Ten Commandments, they think of it as all these rules that take away our freedom. All these rules that are not relevant to us anymore. Because, I mean, it was given to Israel, and now we have Jesus. So those, those rules, they don't really apply to us anymore. But I want to argue with you through this series that the Ten Commandments, rightly understood, is God's moral standard for all people for all time. God's moral standard for all people for all of time. It's God's moral standard that shows us how we can live out our freedom that we have in Christ. One way to prove that the Ten Commandments is still very applicable to us today is to show how, in one way or another, almost all of them are repeated in the New Testament. Either by Jesus Himself, or through the teaching of His apostles. But not only will we be looking at how Jesus changes the way we understand the Ten Commandments, we also have to look back and see that even from the days of Adam and Eve, God's moral law, His standard of right and wrong, has never changed. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve, they were functioning under the same principle as loving God and loving your neighbor. They were obligated to honor one another, to preserve the sanctity of life, and to tell the truth. Now again, when Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God's law... God's law which said, do not eat from this tree. And they sinned for the first time. They managed to violate almost all of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever thought about it that way? I mean, taking the, the fruit, that was theft. They took it because they coveted. They had this wrong desire. By eating it, it was like they had another God because they wanted to be like God. They didn't honor their father. Who gave them that command? You could even say it was like murder. Because everything, the consequences of what they did was lead to death for every single person that came after them. And so God's moral law was in effect way before God even gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai. But does that mean that God's moral law is still applicable to us today? 
Is the Ten Commandments still applicable to us today? And the Bible's answer is a resounding yes. Yes. Why? Because God's standard has not changed because of the law of the Bible represents the lawgiver. Think about it. The law of the Bible represents the lawgiver. In other words, the moral law we find in the Bible is a reflection of God Himself. Who He is. And His standard hasn't changed because God hasn't changed. The same God that required Adam and Eve to obey His word is the same God that required Israel to obey His word. It's the very same God that expects His children today to obey His word. Now when we come to study something like the law of God, we must recognize that there's this different categories in the law. It's one law holistically that was given to Israel. They had to obey all of it. But we know they couldn't. And it brought God's judgment on them. But the law has several different kinds of laws within it. You can divide it into three big categories. Might be helpful. The moral, the civil, and the ceremonial laws. These were all given in the Old Testament. And sometimes they blended so much that it's not always easy to see how they fall into each of these categories. But in order to make sense of the law, and ultimately the gospel, they must be carefully distinguished. Because as we look at God's law, we have to look at them through the clear lens of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Fundamental. We have to look at the Ten Commandments through what Jesus has already accomplished. So we don't study them to see what we must do. We study to see what God has done for us through Christ. Now as you look at these categories of the law, let me just elaborate a little bit. You see that the civil law consisted of laws that govern Israel as a nation under God's authority. These included guidelines for war, how to use land, what to do with debt, and the penalties for breaking the legal demands of the law. The ceremonial law was all about how people did worship. It consisted of regulations for celebrating religious festivals, for worshiping God in His sanctuary. It included the laws for clean and unclean foods, instructions for ritual purity, guidelines that con- con- the conduct of the priests, Especially instructions on offering sacrifices. I mean, that's the whole book of Leviticus, right? This whole sacrificial system. These laws are no longer binding on us today. Why? Because Jesus was the full and final sacrifice on our behalf. Fundamental. But God's moral law, which is the righteous and eternal standard for our relationship with Him, is summed up in the Ten Commandments. And this moral law is still the same standard God has for His people today. See, when Jesus came and He spoke about the law, He said He didn't come to change it or take it away. He came to fulfill it and help us give a fuller understanding of what it really means. So when you consider what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, for example, He helps us see that, yes, the big category of the sin is something like, you should not murder. But when He says that everything leading up to murder is also breaking God's moral standard, because even hating your brother is the same as murder. Which takes God's moral standard to a whole new level. Jesus teaches us that from God's perspective, it's not just the big category of sins that are a problem, it's the small categories of sin as well. And so essentially, what this shows us is that the moral law of Moses is also the law of Christ. The same moral standard, which is more gospel color for us as New Testament believers. And as I said, one way to see how the Ten Commandments are still relevant to us today is to see how they are mentioned in the New Testament. So for example, the first commandment we will look at today, it tells us that we should have no other gods. No other gods. And Jesus essentially said the same claim about Himself. 
He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Think about the second commandment, which forbids idolatry. John said, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. 1 John 5, 21. The third commandment tells us to honor God's name, which is exactly what Jesus teaches us and how we pray. Hallowed be your name. And so we know that Jesus, He took the Ten Commandments and He he summarized them by saying what? Love God and love your neighbor. But what does it look like? It's good that we know that we should do that, I mean, we go through our weeks, we come to church, knowing that we are supposed to love God with everything we got all the time, but how do we do that? Well, the first four commandments show us how to love God. And the rest of them, the the final six, show us how to love our neighbor. And so essentially, we see that the Ten Commandments, they've been around for a very long time. But when Jesus came... He not only fulfilled the law, He also came to teach us this fuller meaning of the law. He came to show us how we can live in the freedom to obey God's commands through the power of the Holy Spirit that now indwells His children. And having these guidelines, we we don't follow them to earn our salvation. Galatians has made that clear. We don't follow the law for salvation. Trying to keep what God has said to follow it so we can be right with Him. Now we follow them to know God, to know what matters to Him, and to love His law, because His love for us and Jesus. I mean, Jesus Himself says, John 14, 21, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, He is the one who loves me. And so, this, in this morally depraved society and world that we live in today, where people just do whatever they want, where people look to each other to figure out what is right and wrong and what is morally acceptable. We need to go back to the law of God to understand who it is that we are truly worshipping. Who is the God of the Bible as revealed through the Ten Commandments? Because the problem is, if we don't study these foundational passages like the Ten Commandments, people end up worshipping a God of their own imagination. They decide for themselves what God is like. They are influenced by the world to, to behave in a certain way. And so it is my prayer that as we come back to these fundamental commands, that God will allow us to see more of Him. To see more of where we failed. Remember we said last week that the Bible is like a mirror. We look into it to see where we have failed. But that drives us to Jesus. To see more of Jesus, the one who saved us from this failure. And restores our relationship with God so that we can truly worship Him in our lives. And so the goal of this study is not to leave here and think, I just need to do better. I just need to do better to keeping up with these commands. That is not the goal of the Ten Commandments. You need to leave here thinking, I really need Jesus. I really, really need Jesus. And because I have Jesus by faith, and because I have the Holy Spirit, I can live on this freedom. And this freedom that lives a life that loves God, and loves my neighbor, as the Bible says. One pastor, he says it like this. The Ten Commandments are not, are there not in order to enable us to meet requirements for God. Because Jesus is the only one who can meet those requirements. But in order to enable us to walk in the fullness and freedom that our Heavenly Father intends. So I'd like us to take our Bibles now and we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. And we're going to read the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And we'll start in verse 1. Now the Ten Commandments are also called the Decalogue. Maybe you've heard that word before. The Decalogue. And the decalogue, decalogue actually means ten words. Deca is ten, and log is logos, which is word. And so essentially what we're doing is we're studying the ten words of God. And so let's read from Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. 
This is God's law. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. That is the Ten Commandments. And I like this opening illustration that I read of how we as parents, from a very young age, we teach our kids to share with other people, right? Hopefully we do that. That is a good thing to do. We encourage them to share their toys, even share some of their food, because that's kind and reflects the love of Jesus, who shared his whole life with us. It also helps this child not to just think of themselves, because you know, if they can't share a toy, how will they one day, when they're older, share with others who are really in need? Because we naturally just think about ourselves all the time. But we also have to recognize there are times where it's not good to share. There are times where it's not good to share. Imagine this. Imagine you're called to the principal's office and it's your child's busy with his final exams. And you are told that he was sharing his answers with his friend in the test. You will not be thinking, wow, good job, my son. Thanks for sharing. No, no one will think that's a good way of sharing. So there's clearly times where we should not share and we should uh, not encourage other people to do the same. But now we must recognize that God, He is this loving God. He's this merciful God that loves to pour out His mercy and grace on sinners like us. It's definitely a God that shares, right? But there are some things that even God will not share. And that is what we see in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 3. God is saying that because He is the one and only God of this universe, He will not share His worship with anyone or anything else. This is like God saying, I'm not going to share the stage with anything else. Now if we consider the context of the Ten Commandments, then we see that God saved Israel for a purpose of worship. For worship. You see this, long before the exodus from Egypt, God actually revealed to Moses that the nation's experience at Mount Sinai would primarily be an exercise of worship. You see this in Exodus 3, verse 12. Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign that you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Israel was saved out of Egypt for worship. Worship of the one true God of this universe. And the only God of this universe. But the problem is Israel 
had this big problem, like many of us still have today. And that is the problem of idolatry. Idolatry. We put things in a place where only God is supposed to be. Because we know, we too were created for worship. We too were saved by Jesus for worship. But there are so many things fighting for worship all the time. So how can a Christian keep this first commandment? Well, I want to share with you three ways. Three ways to keep this first commandment as a, as a believer in Jesus. First, worship God exclusively. First point. Second point is going to be destroy other idols urgently. And our final point is turn to Jesus lovingly. So number one, point number one. Worship God exclusively. Now to help us understand this problem of false worship and idolatry, we need to understand the context of Israel. These people had this fundamental problem, which seems strange if you're reading the New Testament, because in the New Testament, the Jews are so serious about the law. They're all about being devoted to the Torah and this one God of the Bible. So much so that they ended up crucifying Jesus for it. But as you read the Old Testament, you see that idolatry was a very big problem. I mean, we've talked about Abraham a lot lately. But even as you read the Old Testament, you see that Abraham was born in this family where idolatry was a big problem. Even if you study the history of his dad, his dad was an idolater. The culture of the day, it was normal to worship the God of your own imagination. We also know that those who came after Abraham, they struggled with this as well. Think of Rachel. When she was running away from, with Jacob from Laban, she grabbed all her little idols and brought them with her. We see also that while Israel was enslaved to Egypt, they were exposed to all these other so-called gods. One for the moon, one for the river, one for the animals, and so on and so on. And as we see, this has had this massive effect on the worship of Israel. Because not long after Moses gave them the commands from Mount Sinai, what did they do? They made the golden calf. And it distorted their worship of God. When you continue reading, you read in the book of Joshua, in chapter 24, you see that he approached the people of Israel before he's going to renew the Mosaic Covenant with them at Shechem. And he declared that this famous verse that we all know so well, it says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wonderful verse. But the question was, who will Israel serve? Who are they going to serve? And they answered. They said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us out of, and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Sounds like a wonderful answer, doesn't it? Such a solid answer from Israel. But Joshua responds to them and tell, tells them, You're lying. You're lying, Israel. Because you've been serving all these other, other so-called gods. You have turned your worship to these other gods, to all the nations around you. So what does he do? He calls them idolaters. Admonishing them to turn their hearts back to God. And to serve Him exclusively. And the thing is, none of these other nations, they, they didn't stop people from worshipping other gods. They didn't care. They assumed this was normal. This is the thing you do. But God was not going to be silent about this, was He? In Ezekiel 20 verse 7, God says through His prophet, Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on. Every one of you, and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But what gives God the right to demand such exclusive worship? I mean, that seems like a silly question, right? I mean, He is God. This is God. 
But God basically tells Israel in giving them this first commandment that He demands the exclusive worship because of who He is and what He did. That's what you see in the first two verses of Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is reminding them who is the true authority. He didn't save them so they can worship someone else. He saved them so they will worship Him alone. Now think about it. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus is saying the same thing, right? But He reveals more what's going on in our hearts. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the problem is that with the word and. God and. Because what this comes down to is that people want a God who will fill their lives and give them what they need, but they don't want to recognize Him for who He really is. They want a God that saves them and blesses them, give them what they want, but they're happy to share their worship with some other idol in their life. So even as we think about this first commandment, we must ask ourselves, why would God even talk about other gods if there are no other gods? If these guys don't even really exist? I mean, Isaiah 45, 21, he says it as clear as daylight. And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none besides me. And so if there's no other gods, then why does God even have to acknowledge them? It's because people like Israel, people like you and me, we come under the enslavement of these false idols. We can become so controlled by these idols that it completely takes over our lives. Just look at what the command says. It says, You shall not have any other gods before me. Before me. God is not saying you can have other gods after him. That he just wants to be in front of the line. Before me is indicating the kind of relationship you have with him. Perhaps the better translation is before my face. Many times the Bible talks about our relationship with God as a picture of marriage. This picture of marriage. But to worship God and another idol or this false God is like a man who has no shame to bring another woman to his house when he's married. And then expect his wife to be totally fine with it. Usually no wife is going to be like, Hey honey, that's nice. I'm glad you have another woman in your life. She's passionately going to say, Hey buddy, it's either her or me. Make your choice. And the point is that when it comes to worshiping God, it's all or nothing. This has always been what God requires. There's always have been plenty of other little gods fighting for our attention. But God has always demanded our exclusive loyalty. So think about the opposite of this command. When God is commanding us to reject false gods. He's also commanding us to choose Him as the true God. Putting Him on the throne and directing our total allegiance to Him. John Calvin, he said it so well. He says that the first command requires us to contemplate fear and worship His majesty, to participate in His blessings, to seek His help at all times, to recognize and by praises to celebrate the greatness of His works as the only goal of all the activities of life. So this first commandment, it tells us who we are to worship. But it also tells us who we are not to worship. It's a positive as well as a negative. I mean, this this was such a problem. That's why the Jews, they needed this creed. They need to recite this creed to memorize this problem. And so you see this in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. It's called the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. But this creed, this, this memorization of this statement is not going to mean much if people don't deal with the idols in their lives. Which brings us to point number two. If you're going to keep the first commandment through gospel eyes and exclusively worship God, then you must destroy other idols urgently. Destroy other idols urgently. See, now the thing with the idol is we can take good things. I think we all, we all know this. We can take good things and we can turn them into bad things. We can take good things like family, like work, sports, holidays, finances, all of it, and turn them into little gods. And we worship them. You see, the same forces that were pulling Israel away from God are still the same forces that are pulling us away from this exclusive worship. Let me give you an example of this. In one of the commentaries on Exodus, Doug Stewart, he mentions nine reasons why Israel was drawn to worship other idols. So listen to these and see if they resonate, if, they, if, if this makes sense to you. First, he says, it was guaranteed. If you were able to go through the motions, the right motions, then the thought was, your effort in this process of worship was going to give you guaranteed results. Secondly, it was selfish. The gods of the Asian world needed stuff like food, so people would bring them sacrifices and to bless them so that you could get something back from these gods. It was kind of a scratch my back and I'll scratch yours kind of relationship. Third, it was easy. Not much effort or discipline was required for holiness. Much easier to just take a little bit of food down to the corner and fix things rather than trying to live a holy life. Fourth, it was convenient. I mean, there was these high places built for these false gods on every corner. It's like having a spaza shop on every corner. No matter where you are, the pagan option of worship is always available. You don't have to travel far to worship these false gods. Because they're just down the road. Fifth, it was normal. Everyone did it. And because everyone did it, it's much easier to go with the flow. That's actually why one of the reasons God gave the Ten Commandments so that Israel, God's people, can look different from the world and not simply go with the flow, to have a godly flow of their own. Six, it was logical. It made sense that there was many gods for the wind, for the rain, for the animals. It just made logical sense to people because they didn't understand who God really was. Seven, it was pleasing to the senses. There was this visual stimulation about these high places. More emphasis was put on what you could see and touch because seeing was believing for them. Eight, it was indulgent. I mean, meat was something you would not eat every day. Most of the time it's only used when making sacrifices. So people sacrificed animals and you couldn't eat meat when you, only when you were worshipping. And so idolatry became this occasion where you get the whole gang together. And we can enjoy these meat and drink the best kind of wine. And then finally, it was perverted. It was perverted. To get the blessings, you need to get the so-called gods to be intimate together and wake them up through your own intimacy. That's why there were even so many temple prostitutes by the time we get to the New Testament. As we read about the city of Corinth, they had this massive reputation for all these kinds of temple prostitutes. Now, as we listen to this list, you would agree with me that today, people are pulled away for some of the very same reasons. Their version of who they think God is reflects in their love for money. If I give God some of my money, He's going to give me more back. If I do this, then He's going to give me that. Many today don't see their need for making any kind of effort to growing in holiness. Why? I mean, many people can even take a church building and make it an idol. Caring more about what the place looks like than actually what they do in terms of worship within that place. 
And so idols might look different, but people are still drawn away by what is comfortable, what is convenient, and what is easy. But here's the problem. We see that if you don't kill these idols, they will kill you. Can you guys think of an example of someone in the Old Testament that was impacted significantly because he did not destroy these false gods? What name comes to your mind? We know that King Solomon, the wisest man they ever lived, was destroyed by these idols. God said to him in 1 Kings 9 verse 4, But if you turn aside from following me, you and your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I've set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I've given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will be, become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. In other words, Israel is going to become some wisdom that we should learn from, church. And you know how the story goes. Solomon started building these high places of worship for, or for all these false gods to please his many wives. God specifically told him, you're not allowed to have many wives, Deuteronomy 17, 17. And the result? His heart turned away from God. All Solomon had to do was to give God the glory. In particular, all he had to do was obey the first commandment by refusing to serve any other God. But the same thing still happens today. And, and maybe you don't intend to break the first commandment. But people's hearts, they are lured away by these temptations to follow other gods. And things can get so out of control so quickly. Like for Solomon. Much later in his life, he said in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. No more self-control. Whatever he wanted, he He got. What was the result? Was he satisfied? Did he get what he wanted? We must ask him, Solomon, was it worth it? And the answer is no. Clearly it's not worth it. This pursuit of pleasure, prosperity, led to emptiness and despair. Ecclesiastes 2.11 When I surveyed all that my hands have done, and what I have toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. Now think about even how this plays out today. Practically. Think about this. People, Christians, they move to this new city because maybe the company has transferred them there. This is a new opportunity that comes with more money. More opportunities to do what you like to do. And you, you often move there and you discover there's no good church in that area. Or maybe you even know there's no good in that church in that area, but you go anyway. So just think how better it would be if the, the Christians examined the area to, prior to moving, if they actually got counsel and wisdom from others, that they're willing to listen to that counsel if it's biblical and sound, and not be controlled by this idol of more money and more career opportunities. Imagine if they would be reminding themselves of the first commandment. Think of their life and worship of God as a priority. Be willing to give, even give up that extra salary. Give up what is more comfortable. So they can be in a place where they can worship God for who He really is. Trusting Him for a different opportunity. Usually people go and then after a while they realize, like Solomon did, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. I'm suffering spiritually. Because the question is, how can a Christian claim to love God, yet place a job over his worship of God? And I know that sounds tough, but the law is tough. God's law is tough. And sometimes there are more details involved with things like this and making these kinds of decisions. It's not always a clear-cut thing. But this is where God's commandments help us. 
Because this is the question this first commandment is giving us. God is saying, we must worship Him exclusively. We must kill the idols urgently. But the solution to destroying these idols is number three. Turn to Jesus lovingly. Turn to Jesus lovingly. What can deliver us from the worship of self and all these other gods we are tempted to serve? The answer is only Jesus. The more we love Jesus, the better we destroy those idols that fight for our love instead. If we understand how Jesus obeyed this command for us, it helps us to grow in our love for Him. The more we understand how He was sacrificed for us, it helps us to know how we can make sacrifices for Him. In Matthew chapter 4, we know that Jesus, He went into the wilderness, right? Before He started His earthly ministry. And in Matthew 4 verse 10, we read as He was tempted by Satan. Basically, Satan wanted Jesus to worship Him. But how does Jesus respond? He says, Be gone, Satan! For it is written, for it is written as saying, Jesus is going back to this, this first commandment. He says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. And so if the Ten Commandments can help Jesus, don't you think the Ten Commandments can help us? In this moment of temptation, Jesus was obeying the first commandment. Paul teaches something similar in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul tells us what God requires and wants us to do in light of the the fact that He is Creator and our Redeemer in Jesus Christ. Because what does he say? He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And what Paul is basically saying is, God doesn't just want your hearts... He doesn't just want your heart. He wants all of you. All of it. He wants all of it to be given to Him in worship. Your thoughts, your time, your resources, your devotion, your physical body, your talents, your affection. All of it. And so the only answer to destroy these idols that fight for your love is by turning in love to Jesus. To fall passionately and deeply in love with God, specifically by trusting in His Son, Jesus. See, the way these commands apply have changed. Because as New Testament Christians, we we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So things have changed, but the commands are still there. I like how one man says it. He says, it's the same melody, but in a different key. Because when we consider the first commandment, we see that God came down this mountain, Mount Sinai, and He said, worship me alone. Many years later, He came down a mountain again, the Mount of Transfiguration. And what did He say? He said, this is my son, and who who I am well pleased with. Listen to him. Matthew 17, verse 5. The God who said, worship me, and listen to my rules, now says, listen to my son. Which means we need to give Christ the worship he deserves. By worshiping him for who he is. Because what does the Bible say? Hebrews 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We can understand who our glorious God is by looking at His glorious Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus even had the audacity to say in John 14, 7, If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on, you do, not, you do know Him and have seen Him. Which means if you don't know Jesus, this is the implication, if you don't know Jesus, You don't know who God really is. You do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit within you. You will never be able to keep the first commandment. 
People today, they want to say, I'm on Jesus' side. I love Jesus. I know Jesus. But what? they want to be on the world's side as well. The first commandment helps us because it calls us to a single-hearted, single-minded, undivided loyalty, love and worship to the one true God of creation, of salvation, and of glory. And here's what this looks like. Think about it. As your kids, maybe, or maybe even you at work, you're starting to make these friends, maybe with a Hindu or a Muslim or an atheist. And you might say, hey, I believe there's only one God. But these friends of mine, they see it differently. So what do some people do? They say, well, the one true God is the one true God for me, but who am I to say what God is for them? It sounds like a nice thing to say. The world will tell you that is the loving thing to say. But do you know what that does? It actually pushes them away from being able to know the true God of this universe. The one true God who says, you shall have no other gods before me. Our kids are growing up in a world that tells them they can't say that Jesus is the only way of salvation. There's no absolute truth. So church, if we're not talking with them about who God is, as revealed in the Bible, and what He says about Himself as revealed through the Ten Commandments, then they too will make up of God of their own imagination. The best way to point people to the God of the Bible is by showing through your life that He takes number one priority in your life. We are getting to know God through His law. And we have seen that, that to keep the first commandments by the grace of God through the reality of Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit, that we need to worship God exclusively. He's not willing to share the stage with anyone else. We have seen that we need to kill the idols that want our worship. And we need to do so urgently. And we can do this by turning to Jesus and loving Him more than we love our idols. But how do I know that I'm worshipping idols in my life? How do I know? Well, ask yourself three questions. Three simple questions. Who or what receives all my love? Number one. Who or what receives all my love? And you can sort of tease this out with more questions too. Who gets all my time? Who gets all my attention? Who or what will I talk about all the time? What do I think about all the time? What sacrifices am I willing to make to get what I want and do what I want? What time with God am I willing to sacrifice or even give up so that I can do something else instead? What choices are you making that teaches your kids that coming to church and worshiping God is just not as important as these other things in the world? Secondly, who do I trust? Who do I trust? When the rubber meets the road, what am I trusting in? We know, for example, that doctors are good and medicine is good, especially in times of suffering, but who do we really trust? The medicine or the great physician? Do I tend to place my trust in my finances, my family, or maybe even in the context of Africa, my dead ancestors. And then finally, who are you thankful for? Who are you thankful for? Are you thankful for Christ and how He has kept this commandment for you? Are you thankful for Christ and how He died for you so that you can die to your idols? Are you thankful for Christ's love for you and in response do you love Him by obeying His commands? It is only in Christ that we find the true freedom to obey the first commandment. It is only in Christ that we are guided through the temptations of and idols of this world. And so it's easy to feel guilty for not loving God the way we should. But maybe God is doing that in your life right now by waking you up through His law. Maybe this is a wake-up call for you in your life. 
But let us take that guilt to the cross. Let us see how it was nailed through the hands and feet of Jesus. Let us turn from our idols so that we can truly worship God. But the way He wants us to worship Him with our lives. Because the law and the Ten Commandments must constantly remind us that idolatry is incompatible with who we are in Christ. We can truly rejoice in knowing that when Christ returns, every single idol in our lives is going to be removed completely, once and for all. From our hearts and from our wills. So as we look at this first commandment, we do so through the lens of Jesus, and we summarize it like this. We must love our Heavenly Father, for whom He has sent in His Son to redeem us from the bondage of sin and death. Therefore, we must forsake all others. God's law helps us to see who God really is. It helps us to see who we really worship. And helps us to see that Jesus is the Savior for those who would turn to Him in worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we know we cannot fulfill this commandment on our own. We thank You for Jesus. Because if it wasn't for Him, this commandment will never be fulfilled. Thank You for uniting Yourself to us through Your Son so that we have the righteousness we need by faith. Forgive us for dividing our worship. Forgive us for putting other things in the place where you deserve to be. Thank you that you do not change. Help us love your gospel more so that we can live in response to your love by obeying your commands. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us your law. We love your law because it shows us who you are. We love your law because it shows us what we have in Jesus. But Lord, even for many of you, might be even here today, and they needed to hear this truth once again. Maybe they've been dividing their worship. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please receive our worship, our exclusive worship. In Christ, we pray. Amen.